Go with me, if you will, to the book of Psalms, chapter 33 and verse number 1. And then to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 17. It's good to see you able to be in the house of the Lord tonight. And uh, I know we have a lot of others that are still unable to get out. Their driveways are impassable. Their streets, we have a lot of people that are sick with this flu. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to pray. My wife's feeling better. She's still coughing a lot. But Ellie's fever will not break. And she's miserable. And uh, she's probably watching. And so I'm not going to say that she's a little bit of a drama queen on top of it. Because I don't want to hurt her feelings. But, but she is miserable. She's sick. And I want you, if you will, to pray for her when you go to bed tonight. That God give her a night of rest. And to heal her in Jesus' name. Psalms 33 and 1. If you found it, say amen. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise is beautiful look at somebody and tell them praise looks good on you tell somebody you look good when you worship rejoice in the Lord O ye righteous for praise is comely for the upright Luke 17 11 and it came to pass as he went into Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee and as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, "Where Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise. Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? I want to preach for a little while. I want to take the, the, the uh, title, if I can, from Psalms 33 and 1, where it says, Praise is comely 
for the upright. And I want to preach for a little while that praise looks good on you. Praise looks good on you. Amen. It's not your bone structure. It's not your skin tone. It's not your muscle tone. Thank God. It's not how straight your teeth are. Doesn't matter to God if you're cross-eyed, cock-eyed, tender-eyed like Leah. Doesn't matter to God if you're short, tall, heavy, thin, bald, or you look like you put fertilizer on top of your head. The Lord says you look good when you praise. Look at somebody and tell them praise looks good on you. Oh, Lord, I pray, help me to preach, God. Help me to preach your word. Anoint me, oh, God, and anoint this congregation. Help us to work synergetically. My anointing, your anointing, and their anointing all put together to have a move of the Holy Ghost. Confirm your word with signs following and do something in somebody's life tonight. Lord, in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise. While you're being seated in Jesus' name. The story of the ten lepers being healed is one of my favorites of all the miracles that Jesus did. Leprosy in its day was to them what stage four metastasized cancer is in our day. When the lepers moved into their colonies or groups, it was as if they were being put on hospice to die. There was no treatment for leprosy. There was no medicine to alleviate the symptoms at all. It was incurable. These men were hopeless cases. There was no doctor that could write a prescription that could help them. There was no pharmacist that could concoct a potion that would counteract and counterbalance the effects of this terrible disease. But when they saw Jesus and they said, have mercy on us, mercy was the only hope of the leper. If Jesus didn't have mercy on them, they were surely going to die. A leper in advanced stages is a terrible thing to behold. I've seen it one time in my life in Ethiopia, and it was a terrible sight. The man had oozing white pussy sores all over his body. Parts of his hands were missing. He, it was debilitating and deforming. And when these lepers cried for mercy, Jesus sent them to a priest. He didn't send them to the priest because he didn't have time for them. There was only one reason to send a leper to a priest, and that's because by law that was the protocol for being pronounced clean of their plague.
until the priest gave you his approval. You were not allowed back into society because of your contagious disease. Jesus told them to go show themselves to the priest so they could be pronounced clean and return to their old life. Until the priest said they were leprosy free. They could not go back to their home, to their wife, to their children, to their family, to their job, to their neighborhood, to their village. Now, I've never had leprosy, thank the Lord. But I can imagine that if I had been healed of leprosy and I was told to go show myself to the priest, I would run as fast as I could run to get to that priest so that he could say, you're clean, you can go home, you can hug your wife again, you can hold your children you can go back to your life. I imagine that while if I was going to the priest and I realized that my leprosy had cleansed and my sores had dried up, I would run just as fast as I could to get back to my old life. In this story, there are 10 men who are stricken with this disease of leprosy. Nine of them were Jewish lepers. These Jewish lepers were going to the priest because their law said they had to. They wanted to move on with their life. They wanted to get back to their old life. But they had to get to the priest first. But this one Samaritan in the group, you see, when you're a leper, you don't care where people are from. You're all in the same boat. This one Samaritan, otherwise, would have had no ability to interact and to interface with these Jewish people. The Bible said the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Jews had nothing to do with them. If you remember the story of the woman at the well, when Jesus went to talk to her, she said, how is it that thou, being a Jew, would speak to me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. But when you are a leper, you don't care where anybody's from. And so in this motley crew of 10 lepers, there are, there are nine Jews who had been raised to know about God, to know about worship, to know about the law, to know about living for God, to know about the truth. They had been raised from the time they were babies to know how to pray, to know how to read the Torah, to know how to read the law and the prophets. From the time they were little boys, they had memorized the Psalms that were written by David and the sons of Korah. They had memorized the songs of how to pray. Their whole life had been about living and serving God until the moment they got leprosy. But this Samaritan was not like they are. He was not raised to know God. He was not taught the Psalms and the prayers. He wasn't taught the law when he was growing up. He had no background of worship in his life to know how to respond when the law, when the law says go to the priest. That, that, that Samaritan leper could have walked all the way to the temple mount and stood at the gate of the temple and they were never going to let him through the gate to see the priest because he was a Samaritan, not a Jew. He did not belong in that temple. 
and his law. He had no law saying that. So this one Samaritan was not bound by the same laws that the Jews were bound by. Even though he was leprosy free, he would never have been good enough for the priest. Even if every spot of leprosy was off of his body, he was a Samaritan and he would never be welcomed in their church. He would never be good enough for the Sadducees and he would never be holy enough for the Pharisees. And so he had different priorities. He didn't need someone telling him he was good enough and clean enough. He didn't need man's approval. So he said, all I need is to go back to that man that healed me of my death penalty. He's walking with the other nine on the way to the temple. And maybe he got thinking, even when I get there, they're not going to let me in. Even though my skin doesn't have leprosy, they're not going to let me worship in their temple. And so he's walking with the other nine. But he's thinking, why am I going with them? Why am I walking with them? When I get where they're going, it's not for me anyway. So I don't need to go with them. So what should I do? I can't go to the priest. So what am I going to do now? He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to the man that just healed me of my disease. And when I get to him, I'm going to thank him for changing my life. Look at verse 15. Help me preach a little while. I know we got a small crowd because weather and sickness, but let's have a little church while we're here. Luke 17 and 15, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. He didn't come whisper his thanks, God. Thank you. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you, look, I I was going to die, and I'm so, I'm so. Oh, no, something had happened in him, and he knew there was no other way it could happen. He knew there wasn't a medicine that could heal him. He knew there wasn't a doctor that could heal him. He knew wasn't, there wasn't a priest that could heal him. So he went back to the only one that had ever healed him. And he said, thank you, with a loud voice. He glorified God. Let me tell you the time for pretty organized dainty church has come and gone. When you find a God that can set you free, you ought to lift your voice and praise him. When you find the one. Oh, hallelujah. He hadn't been taught to worship. They didn't have Sunday school for Samaritans. They didn't have, they didn't go through the law and the songs for the Samaritans. He didn't have anybody that taught him how to respond when God moved, but something happened in him and it naturally came up out. I've come to tell you that when somebody gets the Holy Ghost, you don't have to teach them how to worship. It just comes up out of them. Hallelujah. I remember. I remember the first time I went to Africa and there was a man, there was a man that came and that man had been had never had a church. We went and had a crusade in a city that didn't have a church. And the people from all the villages around that had churches came. And in this city, there were there was nobody that knew anything about how to be an apostolic, but there were people that came with diseases that needed healing, that needed God to touch them. And everyone 
one of them. When God healed them, they didn't have to have a class to learn how to worship. They instantly just threw their hands up and began to praise God because when you come in contact with something that changes your life, it comes. It ought to come up out of somebody right now that knows where you would be if it hadn't been for him. One of them, when he saw I was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. He turned back and gave Jesus praise. I don't know what he might have been thinking while he's with the other nine and he's walking to a place where he's not welcome. And he's walking with those guys and they're talking and they're, they're, they're looking at each other's hands and they're seeing healing and they're seeing that they no longer have the disease and he's thinking in his mind, I got to go back and I got to thank the man that healed me of this disease. I can't keep walking with these guys because I can't even fit in where they're going. So I'm going to change my direction. My priorities have become different because my priority now is not hanging out with these guys anymore. My priority is going back to where I left the man that healed me of my disease. I don't know if he'll still be there or not, but all I know is I gotta go find the man and look, when he got back, he was still there. Let me tell you, if you're not with Jesus right now, he's right exactly where you left him. If it's been a long time since you shouted, I'm going to tell you, you can get right. He's right back where you left him. If it's been a long time since you prayed through, he's still right where you left him. Just turn around and with a loud voice, give him thanks and he'll rekindle a fire. He'll rekindle a flame. He fell down on his face at his feet and gave, giving him thanks. And then the Bible says, and he was a Samaritan. Now, the fact that this man was a Samaritan is obviously a key part of this passage because his experience compared to the experience of the other nine are totally different. The other nine, they heard the stories about Samson and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Daniel they heard the stories of the prophets and the kings and the priests. They knew about the plagues against Egypt. They knew how he parted the Red Sea. They knew how he rained down hail from heaven on the Egyptians. He heard how he parted the Red Sea and he parted the Jordan River. And he heard about how land was flowing with milk and honey. And they had heard all that, but the Samaritan didn't have any of that background. To him, his religious background were serving dead idols that had no life in them, burning incense and making sacrifice to dead statues that had nothing to do with God. No religious background to worship. But this man, when he found out about Jesus, he didn't need a doctrine. He didn't need a doctrinal degree in Hebrewism. He didn't need a degree in worship. All he needed was, I gotta find the man that touched me and changed my life. And if I can get to him, if he was, the Bible said he was a Samaritan. It's pointed out because it's important to know that this man, that this man didn't have anybody that had told him how to respond when God touched him. And Jesus said he was a stranger. He was not a Jew. He wasn't in covenant with God. 
He didn't have the promises of God. He had no hope. Here's how Paul described the, the Samaritan situation. That at that time, ye were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. That was that Samaritan. That was that man that had leprosy. He was without Christ. He was an alien from the commonwealth of Israel. He had no promise and he had no hope. He was, but he was the Samaritan. But he was not the only Samaritan that God ever touched. He was never, he wasn't the only one that had no hope and had no promises and had no future when Jesus came to them. But amen, that's the way I was. I wasn't a Samaritan, but I had no hope without Jesus. I wasn't a Samaritan, but I needed him just as bad as any Samaritan had ever needed him. I wasn't a leper, but I was just as bad as a leper because I had sin all over my life. But when he found Jesus, he found a reason to worship. And when I found Jesus, I found a reason to worship. When he got to Jesus, he thanked Thank you for taking my leprosy away. Thank you for saving my life. Thank you for changing my destiny. He fell down at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. There was no room in the temple for the Samaritan. There was no room in Jewish religion for the Samaritan. There was no room in the priest world for a Samaritan. But there was room at Jesus' feet for the Samaritan. Amen. I, I'm going to tell you, I've told you this before, I'm going to tell you again. I have several friends that are, that are not Pentecostal, and I've run into them over the years and tried to strike up friendships. And, uh, and I've got one of them that was a deacon in a denominational church, and we would have breakfast every Every, every Monday and something, then we moved it to Tuesday. And for, for years, we had breakfast once a week and we'd talk. Thank God, and I, I've mentioned this before too, I got to baptize him in Jesus' name. Praise God. Hallelujah. I have another friend that I ran into. His, his daughter played volleyball with, with Ellie on the travel volleyball and we got to be friends and he was, he was a deacon in a different kind of denominational church and we would go and we would sit down and we'd talk about what's happening and we'd talk about, we'd talk about church and I'd talk about people getting the Holy Ghost and people getting baptized. I'd have to explain what getting the Holy Ghost was. I'd explain why, that, that, that you got all these people, they've never been, I said, well, they've never been baptized in Jesus' name. We had to go through all that. Took weeks, you know, every, once a week for weeks to, to get, to be able to talk about all this stuff. And we get to talk, how was church yesterday, pastor? Well, we had this person baptized and that person got the Holy Ghost and we had this person healed and, they, and, and, and the one guy from one of the churches that, that they, they don't move at all, they sprinkle and, uh, and, and they, they, they don't, uh, they, 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 they just, they, they, they're, they're or, they ordain homosexuals and all kinds of stuff. And he's like, man, none of that stuff happens at my church. And then this other guy speaks up and he says, the people you're baptizing wouldn't be welcome in the church I go to. He said, the kind of church I go to, they don't want people that are messed up like that. I'm going to tell you, there may not be room in the temple 
and there may not be room with the priest and there may not be room on the temple mount for the Samaritan, but there was room at the feet of Jesus for the Samaritan. And when he found Jesus, he fell down at his feet. I'm glad to be part of a church where you don't have to meet a certain qualification to walk through the doors and be welcomed. I'm thankful we've got a place that if you need Jesus, there's room at his feet. have to be someone to be accepted you don't have to meet a certain criteria to be accepted but at the feet of Jesus you can be a Jew or a Samaritan you can be a Mexican or a Puerto Rican or a black or a white you can be an alcoholic or an addict you can be rich you can be poor you can be educated you can be uneducated but if you need Jesus there's room at his feet in Bethlehem I wish somebody to believe what I'm preaching would. I wish somebody that found it to be true for you when you were messed up and you were and you had all kinds of mess, but you came and you found room at Jesus's feet. Oh, hallelujah! Man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get going. I got a lot of stuff I want to preach, but always remember this. When somebody worships at Jesus' feet, it raises a question. The man didn't ask Jesus a question. He just fell at his feet and worshiped him. But here's what the Bible said in the next verse. Verse 17. And Jesus answering. Now, whoa, back up now. Can, can you put verse 16 up for me again? I know I'm... I'm I'm, I'm taking a, a detour. And fell down on his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a, a Samaritan. Where's the question? Where's the question at? What, did, what was the question that the man asked? But look at the next verse. And Jesus answering. Well, what is he answering? If there's no question, what is the answer? The question wasn't the man's question. But every time somebody worships, it raises a question. Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? When one person Thanks God for anything. It presents a question to everyone else that God ever did the same thing for. If you were a leper and you got healed and you came back, where are the other nine guys that had leprosy and they got healed but they didn't come back? If you were delivered from meth addiction and you came back to live for God then where's everybody else that ever been healed of meth addiction if you were delivered from false doctrine and false religion and you came to praise God then where's everybody else that was delivered from false doctrine and false religion if you were blessed 
by God and you found time to come and thank God for your blessing, then where's everybody else that he ever blessed? Where your worship creates a question. Anytime, my God, I want to preach this. Anytime somebody worships in Bethlehem, it raises the question, what about everybody else here? <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. Praise God. I wish somebody would go ahead and just say amen. 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 Brother Devin, come here. Come, come, on, come on. Every time you worship God, God brought you a long way. Brought you out of a lot of stuff. Amen. You don't have the advantages that a lot of other people have. You hadn't been encouraged along the way. Like, like you know, when I, when I went to church, I had a drug problem. My parents drugged me to church. And when I didn't want to go, I remember one time my brother didn't want to go to church. My brother had to wear these, he had, he had a foot problem, so he had some prescribed shoes with this, they call them corrective shoes. I don't know what they, what they call them now. But, uh, but he hated those shoes. Man, he hated those shoes, and he didn't want to go to church. And so he hid his corrective shoes. He opened the front door all the way and then hid his shoes behind the door. My parents looked everywhere in that house for those shoes. That's a brilliant place to hide. So if you ever can't find something that you're looking for that your kids hid, look behind the door. He thought that he had got that we had been delayed long enough that we weren't going to church. Oh no. Oh no. When they got those shoes on his feet, they marched him all the way up to the second row and make him sit there in front of everybody with his ugly corrective shoes on. Because it was not a question of if we were going to church. My children have never one time asked me, Daddy, are we going to church? When they were little, they wouldn't say, Daddy, are we going to church? They would say, Daddy, is it church day? Because if it's church day, we're going to church. That's just the way it is. Amen. Devin, you didn't have that encouragement. You didn't have anybody telling you, come on, get up, you got to go to church. You didn't have anybody rolling you out of bed saying, come on, let's live for God, let's do this. So every time that you come and you raise your hands and worship, you do that at the feet of Jesus, but it raises a question to everybody else that if he has been brought out of that, then why are he, is he praising God by himself? Anybody know what I'm preaching about now? What I'm saying is every time somebody worships, it takes away my excuse not to worship. You have to like what I'm preaching, but it's the Bible that his worship raised the question. Jesus said, where's everybody else? Anytime somebody that's been brought out of false doctrine worships, everybody that's ever been brought out of worship, Jesus said, where are you at? Did I not do the same for you? Did I not bring you out of it? Did I not set you free? I've come to tell you there ought to never be a time in this church where we don't worship God. I don't care if you like the song or not. I don't care if you like the preacher or not. I don't care if you feel like it or not. That's not up to you to like, think, or feel. It's God that deserves the praise. Hallelujah. 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 There's always the question that comes up. Jesus answered and said, Let me just tell some folks this. Let me get it out of my spirit so I don't lay in bed and get all bitter about it. 
You don't ever get so significant and dignified and tenured in the Lord that you don't need to praise God. I remember Brother J. Frank Wilson, days before he had a heart attack, running around this building with a tambourine in one hand, shaking it, and another hand. He wasn't running fast. He was shuffling, but he never outgrew worshiping God. And who are we to think that we've been in this long enough that we can just sit back and take it easy? Oh, no. Anytime somebody worships, it raises the question, where's everybody else that I brought out? Where's everybody else I brought out of false doctrine? Where's everybody else I dried up off of alcohol? Where's everybody else I got them off dope? Where's everybody else I put their marriage back together? Where's that? Where, where are the nine? Had somebody a few weeks ago, it was the week after we took up the offering. We took up the, we, we, we made the pledges for the offering for the building the Sunday night before Thanksgiving. And it was the next Sunday. Somebody, they, they, they sent me a message. They said, Pastor, we stretched ourselves a little too far. We went a little further than what we thought we could go. And we got home, we, I, you know, we got caught up in it in the service, but when we got home, we're like, we can't do this. I don't know what's going to happen. How's it going we, to, we, we've never been, a, we've never given this much before. But the next Sunday, they come to me and they said, Pastor, all I can tell you is that God's already given us every bit that we need to make our pledge. I said, well, then you need to thank God for it. But if one person that God gave a financial blessing praises God, everybody that he ever gave a financial blessing to ought to say, God, here I am. I'm still here too. I think because every praise raises a question, if he can do it, why can't I? I wish somebody would praise him right now. And I remember when I was young, I was preaching in Andrews, Texas for Brother Kenneth Blakeney and his wife. And uh, I preached a lot of revivals at that church out in West Texas. Man, it's a desolate, it's a desolate place. It's one of the most depressing towns I've ever been in in my life. But they were doing a good work and building a church. They loved, man, they loved me and I loved them. And I preached so hard. They're just a little handful of people. The whole church, probably back to to about where Brother Jamie's sitting and forward, the middle, that's about as much room as they had in that little, remember that little old building, Brother Carson? And, uh, and, and I'd preach in that, and I, I'd preach so hard, I'd sweat, man, I'd, I'd just, I'd, I'd shout and scream and holler and run and dance and do everything but cuss and turn over tables and chairs and stuff. I'd do, and, and I would sweat so much that on the last night of revival, they had gotten some sunglasses and they had taken zip ties and they had zip-tied windshield wipers because I sweat so much. Well, look, I was 19 years old, and I was skinny, and I was full of energy, and I thought I had all the answers. Well, now I'm 52. I don't have any energy, and I don't have any answers. And I can't go like I did back then. I don't have that much oxygen. I don't have that much energy. I don't have that much strength. But one thing that God, if you'll help me till the day I die, that I'll never do, I'll praise you as much as I can. If it's just waving my hand, then I'll wave my hand. 
but God, if you'll give me the right mind to praise you, you'll never have to beg me to thank you. You'll never have to beg me to thank you for what you've done in my life. Somebody ought to be thanking God right now. Somebody ought to thank him because somebody else's praise raises the question, where are the nine? I got to go. He said, they are not found to give God glory, save this stranger. Stranger. This person that doesn't know anything about it. Can I put that in a little bit of a modern vernacular? He said, the new convert is out worshiping everybody else. The new convert that doesn't know all about the stuff I've done. He doesn't know I parted the Red Sea. He doesn't know I parted the Jordan River. He doesn't know that I gave water out of a rock. He doesn't know that I was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. He doesn't know that I stopped the mouth of the lions. He doesn't know that I reversed the plague at Mara. He doesn't know that I raised up prophets and preachers and priests and kings. He doesn't know I brought Goliath down. He doesn't know that not only did I bring Goliath down, I brought all five of his brothers down too. He doesn't know all that he but he's out shouting everybody that does know it let me tell you those of you that have been in the church the longest time ought to have the most praise because he's done more for you the new convert only has a week or two a month or two but those of us that have years we sh he said where's where's the old converts the new converts are out shouting them nobody's here but the stranger Maybe it's not leprosy for you. Maybe it was cancer. Maybe it was some other disease. Maybe it was alcohol. Maybe it was meth. Maybe it was marijuana. Maybe it was man's religion. Maybe it was the lust of the flesh. But whatever he did, have you made a trip back to his feet lately just to thank him for what he's done in your life? Psalms 33 and 1, rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise is comely. That means beautiful, becoming pleasant. Praise is beautiful on the upright. When somebody that God has brought out of sin and put their feet on a rock, for somebody that God has delivered out of the world and set them up, in the house of God, praise looks beautiful on you. Can I tell you right now that I don't care what the world thinks about our praise. They can laugh at us all they want to. They can make fun of how we shout. They can make fun of how we worship. I was watching somebody the other day. I was sitting in the airport, and they were showing a soccer match. And this soccer match had this big fat dude with a belly button that looked like Lake Michigan. And half of his chest was painted white and, and the other half in that big old belly was painted red. And he had this thing on his head and he was cheering at that soccer match. And they put him on there not because they thought he looked stupid. They put him on there because that's what a fanatic looks like. That's somebody that's really serious about rooting for their side looks like. Well, let me tell you, if some fat dude with a belly button like a lake can stand up and shout for his idol, then I have every right to stand here in the house of God 
in my right mind and say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you can laugh at me if you want to. You don't have to be on my team, but my team is a praising team. My team looks good when they praise. Look at somebody, tell them you look good when you worship. Can I preach a little while longer? The Bible doesn't say that God inhabits preaching. Because you can preach false doctrine. The Bible doesn't even say that he inhabits prayer. Because you can pray and ask amiss. But the Bible said he inhabits praise because you can never go wrong when you praise Jesus. Praise is where he lives. Praise is where he's comfortable. He inhabits the praises of his people. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God. Have you ever been gone on a long trip and you couldn't just wait to get home? There's some, a hotel's fine, but there's nothing like walking through the door of your own house. Am I preaching to anybody? It's great to go away, but it's better to come back home when you walk into your house. Amen. I preached for this guy in Florida. He had a good-looking daughter. Man, she was so good-looking. And, uh, and, and, and I asked her out on a date, and she said she'd go. And I said, we'll go after revival's over. And that revival went on long enough that I realized by the time it was over, ain't nobody that pretty. I skipped town before the date. I got up about 4 o'clock in the morning, got my stuff in the car, and I was O-U-T out. God, I hope she's not watching. I really don't care, I guess, but, uh, but, 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 <sighs> I had a point. I had a point. Oh, yeah, I remember the point now. <laughs> After dealing with her for a week of revival, I realized she looks good, but not that good. But I'm going to tell you that when Jesus looks at his church, he doesn't look to see how dignified you can look. He doesn't say dignity is becoming to you. He didn't say standing there like a statue is comely for the church. He didn't say walking out all as put together as you were when you walked in is comely for the church. He didn't say being dignified and just and, and, and all, all primp and proper is, is comely for the church. He said, I'm going to tell you what I think is pretty. I think praise looks good on my church. When you raise your hands, it makes my heart go pitter-patter, pitter-patter. When you wave your hands and you sing and you shout, when you pick up one foot and put it down and pick up, that's when I'm saying, my God, my wife, she looking good now. Oh, yes, Lord. I'm going to tell you, you don't look good when you sit there like a bump on a log. You want God to keep your eye? You better praise him because he said, that's what's pretty to me. And I remember, I remember when I was, I was a young single evangelist and I'd go back to my home church and my wife worked at a daycare. And uh, she wasn't my wife. She was going to be. I'd already decided that. She hadn't decided it yet, but I decided it for her, and I won. She worked at that daycare, man. She had baby throw up all over her. You know, taking care of these babies, they spit up. 
after being there from 6 o'clock in the morning and waiting for the last one to leave and the parents late and she's tired of that kid being there and her hair's all, oh, the kid pulled her hair and she's all, you know, and, and, and I, man, I walk in that daycare and I say, baby, you look good. And she said, I don't look good. I got baby throw up all over me. Look at me. I'm a mess. I said, you look good to me. Amen. I, I'd almost send her to a daycare now just for memories. <laughs> I didn't care what she thought she looked like. To me, she was beautiful. I'm going to tell you, why are we trying to impress the world when it's not the world that's going to take care of us for the rest of eternity? Why are we dressing for the world and acting for the world when it's not the world that's going to blow a trumpet and take us up out of here? Praise looks good on you. You ought to give him some of what he wants right now. He said praise is comely. Praise is beautiful for the upright. Look, anybody thinks praise looks crazy. They don't know anything about what God likes. They can have degrees. They can be as smart as they, but they're foolish in the ways of God. I got it. Man, I got a lot of stuff I want to preach. Good Lord. I, I just want you to know that the Lord inhabits. He's comfortable where we praise him. I've seen some people who were ashamed to praise the Lord. They had Michael's disease. If you remember when David brought the ark back from the house of Obed-Edom to Jerusalem, his wife, Saul's daughter, Michael, thought he looked foolish worshiping God. Here's what she said, 2 Samuel 6, 16. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Let me tell you, people that don't worship, Always despise those that do. But let me tell the non-worshippers among us, let me tell the statues among us that their worship is their worship. But you got to have your own worship because praise is comely for you too. Did I lose you? She despised him in her heart. Look what 2 Samuel 6 and 20 says. Then David returned to bless his household. Isn't it something that the man that was worshiping had something to bless people with? Returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How? Now you can just hear the sarcasm. How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. It didn't mean that David was running around naked. He had a king's garment. He had a king's robe on. Under the robe, he had regular garments. He took off his kingly robe to worship God. But to her, it was an insult. He was too, he, he, the king was too high for that. You can just hear the sarcasm. She thought praise was below somebody's of, somebody of David's stature. She thought it made him look less royal, less dignified, less impressive. He took his king's robe off and worshiped God. So here's what David said in verse 21. And David said unto Michael, it was before the Lord which chose me before thy father. 
oh man, now he's bringing it. She got him mad now. She said, look here, your daddy was the king and he didn't praise God. So God said, I don't want that joker no more. I want David because David's, he said, he chose me before your daddy. You, he said, your problem is you got the spirit of your daddy. He said, that's your issue is you've got too much Saul in you. And Saul wants self-glorified, not God-glorified. And can I tell somebody that doesn't like worship, you may have too much Saul in you. There may be too, oh, I know it's getting quiet now. You may have too much of your daddy in you. God chose me before thy father and before all of his house to appoint me the ruler over the people of the Lord. Over Israel, therefore will I play before the Lord. He said, I am going to worship God. I don't care what you think. God chose me. God raised me up. God blessed me. So I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for him. In verse 22, and I will yet be more vile than thus. He said, oh, you didn't stop me from worshiping. You just stirred me up. And will be base in my own sight. And of the maidservants that you spoke of, you said I was an embarrassment to you before those maidservants. He said, listen to what he said. Of those maidservants, of them shall I be had in honor. He said, you may not like me, but they will. You can choose who you want to be impressive to. Verse 23, therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of her death. You want to guarantee a barren womb? Despise worship. You want to guarantee a dead church with nobody getting the Holy Ghost and nobody getting then despise worship. You want to make sure that you don't get a breakthrough, then you make fun of the people that are shouting and complaining about how they worship. You just keep on complaining about the worshipers, and you, God will make sure that you never have birth in your womb again. Never forget that praise looks good on you. Stand with me. I'm going to close. I'm, I, I got a whole, man, I got, I got a whole lot to go. It's bad when your notes have more energy than you do. For seven days, Israel marched around Jericho to the sound of the trumpets. They never shouted. They just marched and blew trumpets. God said, don't shout, just blow the trumpet. But on the seventh day, on the seventh time around the city, something changed. I've often wondered, God, why did you have a march around? Why did that have to march around seven days, and why did that have to do it seven times on the seventh day? And I was thinking, why? That doesn't, because the Bible already said that all the other kings around already knew that they were going to lose to them guys. They, it, wasn't to, it wasn't to try to intimidate the enemy. And I got to thinking, it was to wear Israel out so much that when they won the battle, they knew it wasn't them. And on the seventh day, God told them to shout, for the Lord had given them the city. Something powerful happens when your walk and your voice get in sync together. Because they walked for seven days, but when they walked and shouted, walls came down. It's great to walk the walk, but at some point you got to shout the walls down too.
Amen. Praise God. Woo, Jesus. Man, I'm doing some sermon surgery right now. I'm cutting out some good stuff. Yeah, we'll do that next week. Something happens. Something happens when people realize that they look best to God when they're worshiping Him. You ever, you ever, anybody ever boil water? Anybody ever cook anything? Anybody ever boil water and put an egg in it? What does it do to the egg? Hardens it. Anybody, anybody ever boil water and put broccoli in it? What's it do to the broccoli? Softens it. Anybody ever boil water and put coffee in it? What's it do? It makes the whole house smell good. Some people can go through something and get hard. Some people can go some thing, through some things and they get soft. Some people go through some things and they change the entire house. It's all in how I react to what's going on in my life. So I've made up my mind. If I'm going through something, I'm not going to let it make my worship harden. I'm not going to let it make me soft and weak. But I'm going to let it go through and I'm going to let whatever happens in my life turn back into praise. And I'm going to change the atmosphere in my home by my praise. I'm gonna ch- Because praise looks good on you. Look at somebody. Give them a high five and say praise looks good on you. Look at somebody and tell them you're never more handsome than you are. Wives, look at your husbands and tell them you're never more handsome than you are when you praise God. Husbands, look at your wives tell them you're never more beautiful than you are when your hands are lifted up and your eyes are focused on Jesus because there's something beautiful about a praising church. There's something beautiful about a church that knows how to worship God and how to praise Him. Somebody ought to raise their hands and walk to the altar and say, God, I'm not here to look good. I'm not here to look good for Babylon. And I'm not here to look good for Syria. And I'm not here to look good for Egypt. And I'm not here to look, look good for Hollywood. I'm not here to look good for the politicians. But I'm here, God, because praise is comely for the upright. you to shout. I'm just asking you to praise Him. I'm not asking you to run and dance. I'm just asking you to praise Him. Praise is comely for the upright. Don't date a girl that can't worship. Don't date a boy that won't worship. If they're too cool for the presence of God, don't you give them the time of the day because you look good when you worship. Just thank you. Thank you for bringing you out. Thank you for putting your feet on the rock. Thank you for changing your life. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.
this week was something unexpected that you could wave your hand and give God a level one praise because he did it a level two praise is when it's not based on something it's just based on who he is and you just thank him because you love him and because he's been good and he doesn't have to do anything special today it's just because you know who he is and that's a higher level of praise but there's a third level of praise and the third level of praise is when you can praise him for something that you don't have yet. When it's just by faith. When you haven't seen it, but you can thank him for it. When you don't have it, when you haven't touched it yet, but you're already thanking him for it just because that's a higher level of praise. Anybody have something you need God to do and you haven't seen it yet, but you're willing to praise him for it in advance? That's a third level praise. But there's a fourth level of praise. There's a fourth level of praise. And that's when I want something. And he gives it to you. And I can praise God for you. Just like if it happened for me. 
It's a higher level of praise. When God blessed his brother Willie with something that I wanted, but instead of me getting jealous and a bad spirit, I just say, thank God for blessing brother Willie. That's when praise goes to another level. And I wonder, can we praise God for what he's given us, for who he is, for what we can't see, and for what he's done for others? That's when praise is full. So let's praise him. Sing it again.
Come on, how about you lift your hands up around the building? Come on, it's all right to cry. It's all right to give it to God. Come on, how about you push a little bit? Some of you ain't moved all night long. But if you lift your hands up and begin to tell God, thank you. God, I thank you for keeping me. Thank you for keeping my mind. Thank you for keeping my heart. When I wanted to throw in a towel, God, I thank you for keeping me in perfect peace. love on the Lord one more time. Amen. How many have enjoyed the word tonight?
I heard a preacher say, when you're down to nothing, God is up to something. And I like the story of Paul and Silas in jail, how they were bound physically, but their mouths were not. And one thing, if the devil can ever get you to shut your mouth, he got something on you. But as long as your mouth is still able to, God, I thank you. I may be bound, but God, I thank you. I may be in some chains, but God, I thank you. Because if he did it for them, hello, somebody, he'll do it for you. And then the, the amazing part about Paul and Silas is that they were just, for them, they were praying, God, for us. We need to get out of here. But their praise affected everybody else. And then the amazing part about that story, they were in the innermost part of the prison. Meaning after the candles burnt out, there was no lights. But aren't you glad that the word is a lamp unto your feet? So it don't matter how dark it is in your prison, as long as you got the word. Amen. Truly, we have enjoyed everything tonight. Let's come back next Sunday. Looking for a hot time. Bishop Holmes will be here next Sunday night. Lift up your hands. We'll say a word of dismissal prayer. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you, God, for another day. For another opportunity, God, to come to the house of the Lord. I make you, God, to be with us. God, we thank you for everything our eyes and ears have seen and heard on tonight. I make you, God, to go before us tonight as we leave here. God, protect us from the seen and the unseen danger as we go through our week. God, you protect us, God, that we never lose sight of our praise and what you have for us. And God, I make you, God, that there's anything in us that should not be, God, you take it out of us on tonight. If it had not already been out, God, you're going to remove it out of the way. God, I make you, God, to touch those that are sick and afflicted in their body. Heal them that they have a testimony and a praise report. In Jesus' name we pray. Pray, amen. You are dismissed.